Well, I've waited 16 years to be given the sense of release that I can share what I'm going to share tonight. Before I go any further, I want to remind you that I'm not preaching or expounding scripture. We're going to begin with scripture, and there's a theme which you see on the screen, standing in the gap. Spoke on this a few weeks ago in, in Hackney, in LCC North. Uh, and it's very much a kind of parallel which I believe that God is giving us for our day. We'll come to that in a moment. Before we go any further, I want you to understand this. I love Europe. I'm part of Europe and so are you. Britain is part of Europe. It's part of the European continent. We're not going to be any longer, so it looks very, for very much longer to be part of the European Union. But to be out of the European Union doesn't mean to say to be out of Europe. Be careful when people say, talk like that. I also want you to know that I am not English. Uh, I may sound English. I am British, uh, meaning I was born in British Kenya. Um, and uh, if I'd signed a few papers a little earlier, I would have the right of residency in Kenya. So, so I'm not English, so I don't view this from an in English perspective. I, I thank God that I was born in East Africa, grew up in Australia, spent life here in London and traveling all over the world. Uh, on peut dire, je suis citoyen du monde. I'm a citizen of the world. And more than that, I'm a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. Um, I'm learning three European languages in addition to English. French, of course, is, is my best second language. Portuguese, Spanish. And uh, are there any Italians here tonight? They will not allow me to leave this place without saying Italian as well. I love Europe. I love traveling in Europe. I love the European culture. I love the cafe culture. And uh, in Europe, as I have, uh, the church has, a, has a, uh, an apartment which we use when we go over as teams for the language school and the Bible school in Marseille. And uh, sitting and enjoying that cafe culture. And of course, in Marseille, this is, is a little bit more sun than there is sometimes here. And just to enjoy talking to people. And I have friends all over, all over France, different parts of Europe, who will come to me wherever I am to talk about Jesus, even though none of them as yet has committed to Christ. So, um, and I, I love the freedom of travel in Europe, and I love the idea that we can go and live in different parts of the continent of Europe, and, and so on. And also want to let you know I have no vested interests in what I'm about to say tonight. I've had one or two criticisms come, that's fine, I let the criticisms come, sometimes they're helpful, sometimes they're not, this one was not helpful, saying, you're only saying this for your vested interests. What vested interests? I have no vested interests. My pound fell when your pound fell. Any investments I may or may not have are worth less, just like every one of you. Actually, when we come to Europe and the European Union, talk about vested interests, talk about the 10,000 people who are employed wastefully by the European Union at a salary of more than 150,000 pounds, more than our own prime minister. 
No wonder the institutions of Britain, even the political ones, were very reluctant to talk about Brexit because for many of them, they're hoping for fat cat jobs at the end of their political career in Britain. Now, I said I wouldn't say fat cat, okay? <laughs> Never mind. So anyway, let's, let's be careful about what we're doing. And one of the things is that I do have very strong political views about this. My political views are based on my personal experience. I've been in the European Union, European Parliament, and saw for myself the total undemocratic nature of it. When it comes to voting on things, 15 minutes before the vote, the different people have the opportunity to see what they're voting on. It's all coded in paragraph 5, subsection 2, and researchers have 15 minutes to say, we think this is about that, we think it's about that, and the person presiding, all in favour, all against, any abstentions. Next, all in favour, all against, any abstentions. Next, somebody said, would you please look up to see if there's anybody voting here? So, that's not the whole story. Also, the European Commission is run by under-elected representatives who hold their meetings in secret, no journalists, no minutes, they have no idea, they're the ones who propose the legislation. Totally undemocratic. So, I have political views on this. And I'm entitled to political views. I've not influenced anybody as to what they should do, but those are issues that I feel personally very strongly about. But tonight, I'm going to withdraw and take a step back from political views. And in public, as we're sharing together, I've only been wanting to share the spiritual perspective. And the spiritual perspective that I have adopted actually was birthed or at least underlined and confirmed 16 years ago in a revelation that I received, and I'm coming to that in a moment, which is the heart of what we have to say. And I'll do a little bit of teaching on, on revelation and prophetic, so you'll understand where I'm coming from tonight, and what I'm claiming and what I'm not claiming. And I'll also somehow uh, share a little bit about what um, God may be wanting us to do, but it, it, it's in your hands uh, submit it to the body of Christ. I've already shared what I'm going to share tonight with some trusted uh, friends and colleagues uh, way back 16 years ago. And I want you to understand that it's not been about blurting out what I feel God has said to me uh, and being hasty in that. 16 years is quite some time. And, uh, and, and only, in fact, only yesterday did I get a real sense of a green light. Go for it. Tomorrow night, this is what you are permitted to do. Let's turn to the scripture. I'm not expounding this. Uh, this is Ezekiel chapter 22. I'm, I'm not expounding this, but I'm going to draw a parallel between the nation of Judah in Ezekiel's day and our nation and our situation today. If I allowed the Bible teacher to step up for a moment, I would explain to you there's no direct parallel between Judah in Ezekiel's day and Britain in our day. Totally different situations, totally different generations. Judah was a nation under covenant. The covenant God made, I believe God has covenant with Britain, but that's another matter. Certainly not the covenant that God made with Israel and God made with Judah. But there are certain principles, such as the principle of standing in the gap on behalf of the nation. That still is relevant today. Let's go back as far as verse 27. It makes ugly reading, but there is a positive point here. 
Speaking of Judah and Jerusalem, her princes in the midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood, to destroy people, and to get dishonest gain. So those are, you might call, the political rulers. Although at that particular time, being more set in terms of a theocratic relationship in the nation, these were also spiritual leaders. And I think it's important that our political leaders carry spiritual responsibility. I know that they are not called by the state to be religious leaders, but they have moral and spiritual responsibility. Separation of church and state does not mean that we excuse politicians their lack of spirituality. We must pray for them and ask God to use them, and God can take a crooked stick and draw a straight line. And we pray for everybody. We may not agree with uh, the decision of the Conservative Party. Uh, we, we, we have a new Prime Minister, Theresa May, second Prime Minister. How do you feel about having another woman Prime Minister? Oh, well, so, some of you are happy. I, I even see some Labour supporters applauding that. And you know, what, what happens when a woman comes to power? I'm being facetious here, not prophesying, I'm joking. What happens when a woman comes to power? Then at finally at last, Boris Johnson combs his hair. Did you see him the other day? Okay, facetious. Facetious comments. I'll keep those to a minimum. Then it goes on to the next verse, talking about God's prophets. Her prophets plastered them with untempered mortar. That's the key phrase here. Untempered mortar. Other places, God says they have just painted whitewash on a wall that is about to collapse. Untempered mortar is a temporary illusion of a solution. When the mortar is tempered, it will work, it will stick. But untempered mortar isn't permanent. It's just slapping on an external solution to a deep problem and it won't last. And that is the essence of false prophets and false prophecies. Papers over the cracks and avoids the stuff that is really going on the inside. I'm not suggesting that we always get it right in all of our preaching and all of our teaching and all of our prophesying and all of our pronouncements. Of course not. But one thing I can say is that we have a desire and a passion. Those who are led by myself, both here in the central church pulpit and all those from the network churches, we, we, we don't just want to tickle people's ears. We don't just want to say what is popular and current. We try to hear God and try to share the word of God in such a way as, of course, it's most easily received, but without compromise. And many of the revelations that I have had over the years are extraordinary to my mind. I know many people who claim prophetic ministry, and some of them, of course, have admirable prophetic ministries, and the prophetic word seems to pour out of them, the prophetic word seems to come fully formed, almost verbally given, and, and many, 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 many different prophecies, and I will not criticize that in principle. However, I will say to you that I have, in my experience, discovered that when God speaks to me, the words are very few. But the effects go on for a very long time. 
The word that I'm about to share with you, the prophetic revelation, relates to the year 2070, which I received in the year 2000. So from now, even now, it's 54 years from now. And so maybe it's a different style of prophecy, but I just think sometimes that God doesn't have to say a much, much to gain great effects. Okay. So the false prophets, they plaster untempered mortar or untempered plaster, seeing false visions, divining lies for them, saying, thus says the Lord God when the Lord God has not spoken. Now, we have no right to claim the very words of God in our prophecies today. The scripture is complete. The sure word of prophecy is the scripture. Everything else must be judged by the scripture. Okay? However, it is important to know that God does speak today. And when, when somebody is suggesting to you that God is speaking, as I am suggesting you today, there's a process of it. It's around a sevenfold process. I might take you through that for the sake of edification and interest to see how I want this word to be taken tonight in line with my teaching on how prophecy develops and how it is to be shared and communicated. And those who are hearing from God and wanting to develop prophetic ministry will learn a great deal. Many people who blow it, make mistakes in their prophetic utterances and prophetic ministry have neglected at least one or more of these seven principles. I will share them with you tonight. So God nevertheless is speaking and, uh, and he's speaking today by his spirit to the church. And how that operates is through prophetic gifting, through the different revelation ministries or revelation gifts. I'm going to share revelation tonight. It's not a prophecy, it's a revelation. And the distinction between that is a prophecy is delivered in words. A revelation is sharing the core of what God has said. It's prophetic, but it's a revelation, not a prophecy. And if I do prophesy tonight, or anybody prophesies, I'll let you know that that's what we are doing. But I'm sharing a revelation. More about that later. So while we do not say, thus says the Lord, as if that will give us absolute authority and align with Scripture, we can still say God is speaking. Verse 29, so it is talking about the princes, then the prophets, now the ordinary people. The people of the land have used oppressions, committed robbery, and mistreated the poor and needy, and they wrongfully oppress the stranger. One of the things that has disturbed me, that the Brexit vote was portrayed, and maybe to an extent it was true, as merely anti-immigration and, and with some racism added. Now, you know in a church where I was born in East Africa, brought up in Australia, live in this multi, multi, multi-racial congregation and enjoy 119 different nationalities. I love the cultures of the world. And, and, and this is in no, means by, in no means at all a racist uh, issue for me. And I'm not so sure it is only or all about immigration. And here, one of the great social injustices of that day was oppressing the stranger rather than welcoming the stranger. I don't want to digress too much. We'll be here all night. But we have a ministry, I don't know if you know, into the camps just north of the jungle there in, 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 in Normandy. And uh, as a, uh, we, we are working right there. Jean Hugues and the team from, from Marseille go up and help build church in those refugee camps. We have 
a ministry. And there's so much to be said as to what God is doing in bringing hundreds of thousands of people who need Christ into the European border. So that's another issue. So here we have a description of the state of the nation in Ezekiel's day. It was in the final stages of the nation. The die was cast. That's not Colin die. That is the, another expression. That is the end. And God reflects in the most tragic of ways. I still don't understand it fully. The next verse explain, touches on this. But you can judge for yourself. Another time I might do some exposition to show the parallels between that fallen society, the society under the judgment of God in Ezekiel's day, and our own society. You can see some of the parallels for yourself. But this is the message I want to get to. Verse 30. God says, So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, I've poured out my indignation on them. Very interesting to me that at a certain point, God is saying there was a moment, an opportunity, a window of an opportunity, in which I looked even for one person, one person, who would stand in the gap. And if I had found just one person, at a certain point, history would have been different. Ooh, doesn't that, uh, well, I, I, there's an, a feeling, awesome fear on the inside of me. I don't mean craven fear that perfect love casts out. I'm talking about a holy fear. And this is the main message I want you to carry with you tonight. Is that how we behave in this generation is not just for our benefit. It's for the generations to come. And um, I don't understand why Jeremiah could not have been that intercessor. I, could not, I don't understand why Ezekiel could not have been that intercessor. Guess that by that time, the, the, the nation had turned so far away from God that God said, Eve said on one occasion, don't pray for them. Don't pray for them because the, 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 the history was now set in motion and what is encouraging to me is that we still live in the age of grace. Back in 1998, I saw three prophetic signs showing of God's judgment on London. I didn't like it. Every one of those signs were fulfilled in reverse order. Go into revival times and search it. A word, very clear prophetic word, and yet very largely gone by without people hearing it and listening to it. Don't worry, every person who speaks prophetically feels nobody's listening. Don't worry. And so, yet, with God's judgment on the city of London, it wasn't even my theology. And I thought, what are you saying? And I went and I spoke with various people and a very senior, mature man of God said, Colin, have you never thought about Romans chapter 1? God's wrath is being revealed against all unrighteousness and godliness of sin. Is being revealed. And that's the dark background, the gloomy background for the light of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, I can't wait to get to Rome to preach the gospel. For it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
So in all of this sense of doom and gloom, God is saying there is a light. It's the light of the gospel. The gospel is the only hope of the nation. And the church of Jesus Christ is the only legitimate bearer of the gospel in our world of darkness. So there is a commission. There is a mandate upon us. And so while there is the gathering clouds of doom and gloom, and ultimately it will end up in the judgment of all nations, God is sending waves of revival and flashes of light and saying that the gospel shall be preached in all the world as a witness before the end shall come. So our job is to carry the torch of the gospel in all its implications, the purity of the gospel, and all its implications in terms of behavioral change and and community development and, and the outworking of the gospel in terms of the kingdom and good news of Jesus Christ. We are the only hope, light bearers of our generation. Can I have a strong amen of faith in the house of God? Now what I say to you, Ezekiel's day is over, now I am drawing a parallel. I am saying to you today and suggesting to you that as there was a window of opportunity in Ezekiel's day, God is giving us a window of opportunity in our day. This morning's message spoke about that in terms of prayer, evangelism and engagement. But it's against the background of seeking to understand what God is doing in our day and what that might lead to in the days that are to come. And I put it to you, as I've said again before, God is giving us a window of opportunity to do what we have failed to do thus far. Pray effectively, not just for our own needs, but to pray according to the needs of geospiritual movements, nations and continents. To evangelize as we've never evangelized before with a, with a new clarity, a new sensitivity, carrying the DNA of the kingdom with us. And to engage in every area of society knowing that we are called to the kingdom for such a time as this. So what is the window of opportunity? Why is it that I feel so, that it's so significant Spiritually speaking, that Britain, we don't yet know the future, but as Britain has decided to leave the European Union, why? Why? I can present, you probably heard them all during the campaigns, I can present good arguments for remaining, good arguments for leaving, but this is not just about the politics or the economics of the situation, this is about a revelation from that I received all those years ago. Um, uh, since yesterday and this morning, I began to just look around and just look up some things, and I've stopped doing that because I'm so glad that I did not research this before I presented it. Because I, what I'm hearing has come into my spirit from what I received from the Lord, not by reading literature or internet material. I will be released to do that from now onwards and to show you that some of the things I'm sharing and some of my ideas tonight, which are more interpretive and more speculative, I'll let you know when that is happening, following the revelation, uh, we, we, we can begin to handle some of this and see, see some of the way forward. 
Father, I ask right now that as I share the core of this revelation, you be with me. Grant that I would not say too much or too little. Let your name be honored and glorified. Amen. In the year 2000, 16 years ago, it was a great time in Kensington Temple. We had a temporary building, 4,000 seater, we enjoyed it. We spent the whole night on New Year's Eve, 1999, and we fed 4,000 people for breakfast. We had prayer meeting, preaching all night long, and little naps and snoozes in between. It was a wonderful time. And on into that year, I, I thought, you know, I, I really want to seek God. I'm not saying I heard from God, go and do this. I, I felt a strong desire to seek God. Now there were many things, in fact I wrote them out in my book, many, many things that I wanted to ask God about and to intercede for and pray for. But you know, I had no heart to pray for many of those things. The whole of that time, six weeks of seeking God, was about spending time in his presence. Listening to him, ministering to him. It was a very significant time and a very special time. And well into this time of setting myself apart and seeking God, I received a revelation. Received several, some of, some of I have shared, but this one I've never shared publicly before. There I was, late in the night, suddenly finding myself wide awake. I'll describe it in terms, then try not to exaggerate so you will not get a higher impression of the level of this than you should. But it was as if I was in the spirit, in the future, in another generation. The year was 2070. And it was so real to me. And the alarming thing was that in this year, 2070, something which could have been called the United States of Europe was at war with the United States of America. So what I saw was a world in conflict and some of the motivations behind the whole European project, not just anti-American, but pro-Arab and anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic, came together in a, I guess, if United States of Europe, if that's what we could call it, at war with the United States of America, that's a pretty big conflict. Maybe that's a world war, I don't know. Certainly a pretty big conflict. And what was interesting was in the midst of that, I saw Britain. And this was the strong impression transmitted to my spirit. Britain's only hope was to leave the European Union. Now don't forget this is 16 years ago. Now that sounds highly charged with Brexit statements and all the rest of it. But don't forget, back then, 16 years ago, there was no prospect of Brexit. And this came to me in an unpremeditated way during a season of seeking God. It was unsolicited. It did not confirm biases or prejudices. It came as a bolt from the blue, and I didn't understand it. I didn't understand that if there was a war in 2070 between the United States of Europe and the United States of Britain and in inverted co United States of uh, that was a Freudian slip, wasn't it? United States of America. Uh, if there was a war, how how would Britain have a hope 
by not being part of the European Union. Maybe neutrality. I don't know. But that was the word. That was the revelation. Okay, that was the revelation. And so there are a number of ways in which this, this can work out and we can now begin to apply some of the process of what happens when God speaks to us with the revelation. I haven't got my notes, in, any notes in front of me, so I'm just sharing from my heart today and this won't be very systematic, but there are around seven things, seven aspects to the process of bringing prophetic revelation. First of all, there is the core revelation. And what I described to you was all that I saw, all that I know. That was the revelation. The danger would be to step straight from revelation to make some prophetic pronouncement, which is why I haven't done this for all those years. To say, thus says the Lord, we're going to leave, leave Europe. Now, with hindsight, with Brexit, we, I can see, well, maybe, maybe there is something here much more than I realize. So the core of revelation. Now, if you are moving in prophecy, I see some people who are not present tonight. I hope they're watching online because they've made this mistake over and over again and don't understand what I'm saying now. Try to understand it. A revelation is not a prophecy. A revelation is a core word from God which needs next to be interpreted. All right? A revelation needs to be interpreted. What does this mean? Okay? So you've got revelation, then you've got interpretation, and certainly you've got intercession, because every word from God requires intercession for this whole process, and that many revelations are given not for sharing, but for praying. So you've got revelation, you've got uh, uh, um, interpretation, interpretation. Yes, help me with this. Interpretation. After that, intercession, and then after intercession, we we must have uh, application. How is it to be applied to our lives? Uh, and then we've got evaluation. It has to be evalu evaluated. Then, then we've got communication. How is it to be communicated? So you've, you've written these down. Help me. The order isn't so significant here, but certainly it begins with revelation and ends with communication. And maybe one more thing. Revelation. After revelation... Interpretation, interpretation, maybe talk about uh, intercession. It's got to, we'll talk about evaluation because what we claim to be from God isn't automatically, should never be automatically accepted as from God. It should be judged and evaluated. And then application. How does this apply? How does this apply? Why is God giving this revelation? How does it apply? And then after that, communication. How should it be communicated? And if you don't know that, keep this zipped up until it's... So I've been quiet for 16 years. Until God says, now is the time to communicate it. And after communication, we could say it's consummation or completion. Because it's not just about receiving a fragment and then saying that fragment is all that God wants to say. There may be other things that God wants to say to this, into this situation. And I find that, I'm, and I'm pretty sure that after tonight in, in sharing this prophetic revelation, not only will it discharge something from my spirit, it will provoke something in your spirit. And God will begin to reveal more and take us in a further direction. So all I'm sharing with you tonight is the core revelation. I'm not interpreting it fully. I will give you some reflections as to some of the th reasons why I think this is highly significant. 
And what was clear to me, the impression was when I received this revelation that a lot of it is European, continental European anti-Americanism. Uh, I, I didn't reflect much more at that time. I just wanted to retain the message. And by the way, God showed me that the man who would be president in 2070, his grandson, his, gra- his grandfather is the grandson of a senator in the year 2000. I got the name, looked it up, and there he was. So that, for me, was an internal way of seeing that God was in this. I'm not going to give his name. Don't feel free to do that tonight. Okay. So, uh, and I began to reflect on it. And, and uh, since then, several other things have become clear. Not just the anti-Americanism, but the anti-Semitism. Of mainland Europe. I know minorities are persecuted everywhere and, and uh, a great deal of racism, but when you begin to look into the history and what has been behind the European Union, you find anti Semitism and you also find this you find Islamic involvement. So now I'm saying this could be. When I'm saying it could be, I'm not saying this is part of the revelation. You understand me? We've got to start to pray these things through. And now that I've released this word, we can. So, for example, imagine, uh, let's say, for example, if Turkey joins the European Union. That would make a Muslim majority in Europe anyway. And we know that in Europe, it has been decided in advance that Islam would never be integrated as part of European culture. And we also know there's been pacts between those who are behind the European Union and uh, promotion of Islam and being against um, uh, Israel. So, ha, as soon as we mention Israel, now you, you sit up and say, oh, now we're in familiar territory. Because we know that major world events will hinge around the nation of Israel. You don't have to be a very, very profound Bible scholar to know that from scriptures. So we have some of these elements which could take place. Something else I want to say is that if I saw war in 2070, it doesn't mean to say it is inevitably going to happen. Have you noticed that about prophetic revelation? Is God saying, if things continue as they are, this is what is going to happen. Sometimes God will reveal things ahead of time so that we can change and so that we can call upon God. When, when Jonah prophesied the fall of Nineveh, it didn't happen because they repented. Also, it doesn't mean to say that the world will still be in existence in its current form in 2070. In other words, Jesus will not have returned until 2070. Because if you plant a tree today, it will keep on growing. All right? And you plant a tree today even if Jesus was coming tomorrow. So, in other words, this is... As if things continued as they are and played out and Jesus had not come, this is what is likely to have taken place. Are you clear about those things? Okay, so don't be stumbled by them. And so, what else could be the reason for the hope of Britain drawing, withdrawing from the European Union? It could be that as a result of our withdrawal, 
And if we take our stand, it could be that we'd be able to preserve the Christian heritage of our nation far quicker and far longer than would happen once Europe gets, the European Union gets a hold of it. And, 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 and if you doubt me, I want to speak to, quote a man, Charlie Colchester, who has studied this very, very carefully. He's of Care, Christian Action, Research and, and, and Education. This is what he has said uh, about the system of law in continental Europe differs fundamentally from the age-old system of the law in the UK. Um, yeah, that's also true, but I, I, I wanted to get to this. Well, I'll, I'll just refer to it. I haven't underlined it. Just refer to it. So when, when the European Constitution was brought about, and of course it was never passed, if I remember correctly, even France voted against it, and instead of that came the Lisbon Treaty. It was founded on the principle of laicite, which is overwhelmingly French in its understanding, in which there's no recognition of any kind of the, of the religious and spiritual in the makeup, political, legal, or philosophical of the nation. And imagine a nation like Britain, which is a country that has an established church, that has the head of state who is the head also of that established church, that we could have ever been dragged into a definition of society that meant the Queen and the Church of England would have no more place in public life in Britain. Can you see that? Also, just one other point that Charlie Colchester makes, and that is the system of human rights and our rights as citizens. I've mentioned this before. The European Union has a completely different understanding of the nature of citizenship. The nature of citizenship in Britain is based on a statement in old French, Dieu et mon droit. God am I right? Acknowledging, going back to what is that charter, the, the uh, Freedom Charter? The, yeah. The Magna Carta, thank you very much, the Magna Carta. Where, where it is recognized as a God given privilege, a God given gift our fundamental human right of freedom. The state doesn't give that to us, God gives it to us. It is based on the understanding that God is the creator of the world and has made us in his image and given us freedom. So take God out of it, all of you, God is a secular version in which the state gives it. And if the state gives it, the state can mess with it and it does. So that certain freedoms are played off against one another. We need to step into this arena in Britain because we are not exempt from the same issues that are happening in mainland Europe. Mark my words. We will see the same struggle 
in Britain, already seen it and it will continue, that we have to stand up and ensure that the nation hears our voice, the rulers, the movers and shakers hear our voice, that we will not tolerate the unnecessary erosion and marginalization of faith in Britain, particularly the Christian faith. We wish to be tolerant of all other religions and ideologies, of course we are, but we must not allow our birthright to be sold. We must stand up for what got our inheritance, our spiritual inheritance. We have, I have over the years, go back to all the revival times, I have for decades, time and again, called and exhorted God's people to rise up and make Christ known and be active in their world. Is that not right? Has it happened? Many, with many, yes. But God's people still want to sit at home and relax and come and have their ears tickled with Sunday Christianity, prosperity messages, and ice cream diet. Stop. Okay, that's enough. Okay. But the wonderful thing is, is if God is giving us an opportunity now to make good our neglect of the past, to say now, right, not just Kensington Temple, we could never do it on our own, but all God's people who hear this message that there's an opportunity to rise up and apply the gospel to every area of society as salt and light, we can make a significant difference and be part of the reshaping and the remaking of new, the new Britain. Because if this Brexit process goes, it and uh, as it should according to the majority view and opinion, there will be a very very, very different nation at the end of it. A nation that's far more open to the rest of the world, that is not blocked behind fortress protectionist Europe, but has strong relationship with Europe. Do you know how wonderful it was? I'm almost speculating here, but not quite, because I have good uh, 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 knowledge of this, that as soon as this appalling attack took place in uh, Nice this last week, that it is British people, British security forces, British security services, British secret services who are right there ready to cooperate. So we will still be part of a new form of Europe. We will be part of that. We, we want to be good neighbors. So we, but, we, but this God is giving us an opportunity to see changes happen in Britain that will not so easily happen in mainland Europe. Again, I must underline that what I'm about to say is in the area of what might happen, what could be. It's not part of the revelation. And it's just about possible. Suppose that the British withdrawal from Europe meant that other nations thought, wow, we had better be careful because if there are referenda in different nations, the whole of the European project would collapse and maybe it's that that could bring about major reformation and change in mainland Europe, which might mean the only hope was not just for Britain, but for other nations in Europe. I don't know that. I'm throwing it out there as some possibilities, but we go back to the clear word of revelation. I was in the spirit in the year 2000, in the spirit taken to the year 27. Europe was at war with the United States of America. 
the man who was the president or the person who was the president of 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 United States of America where well, I thought it was man but I suppose it could be male or female but anyway let's say the man who was the president was the grandson of a person who was an existing senator in the year 2000 I looked it up saw his name there exactly as God had shown me and God said to me or impressed deeply upon me that the only hope was for Britain to leave the European Union. It didn't seem at all possible or likely, even to the point that I thought that it would have, if that's going to be good for Britain and Britain is so backslidden, doesn't want to hear from God, then surely, even when the referendum happens, we are not going to vote in that direction. I had very little faith for it. In fact, I thought the result would be exactly the reverse, that the Remainers would win by the same proportion. But that it didn't happen shocked and surprised many people. And I dare to believe that it is a sign that God's hand is still upon Britain. He still has a part for us to play. He still has a plan of renewal, of restoration, revival and reformation. But he is calling for a people who will rise up and stand in the gap. People who will not just be ready to pray, but who will get their lives lined up with God's kingdom principles, who will join together with other believers, not as lone rangers, but people who will be in kingdom community, who will live with reality, who will not merely be Sunday Christians, but who will will live and line up with the reality of the kingdom of God and in a loving, joyful way, let Christ be seen and known amongst us and through us and so that we would be there where the decision-making process is happening. We will not withdraw because we feel we're too tired or too busy. We'll be up and at them. We'll be there where the decisions are being taken and anything that where we can shape and reshape and make and make a difference, we will be there. Now, here's my challenge. You know, we have a giant's ministry, which goes back a number of years when we felt that God was saying to us, get out there and make a difference in your world. That the meeting place was the learning place for the marketplace. That your occupation is the location for your true vocation. That you are all ministers, missionaries sent out into the world, not to be of it, but to be in it and to influence it. And so we looked at the major areas of our society and divide them up. We've about 12 of these, their pairs, like thought and philosophy, marriage and family, politics, and I forget what else that might be, uh, economics, I don't know. We put all these together, and we have now a number of forums which have been formed in any of these areas. You repeat them for me, the ones that we've got. I know we have a lawyer's forum. I know we have an education forum. I know we have a politics forum. I know we have a business forum. Any others? Sorry? Medicine and health. So that's five out of the 12, and there's a few more coming up. Okay. So I ask you, Nay, I challenge you, every one of those forums that exist, let at least the leaders gather together between now and the beginning of the autumn and say, God, what do you want us to tackle in our domain? Let's take education. Maybe you can throw something out to me today for a bit of audience participation. If you are involved in education, lift your hand. 
Okay, so you're involved in education. So, uh, you know, just hand on heart, I'm not asking for any infallible utterance, but if I said to you, what do you, what would you like to see happen? What do you think that the kingdom of God would mean if it came more fully in your domain? What do you think God wants you to stand for and to work for to bring change in that area? What might it be? Lift your hand and I'll ask you if, you, if, you, if you're willing to answer me. What might you say? Just one word, please. Okay, so in other words, bring the fear of God into that, what that might mean in today's world, how we think sensitively through it. Thank you. Somebody else had their hand or at least was saying something. Lift your voice at least. Where are you? Religious education. All right, so you want to see changes in religious education that would presumably be a little more open to scripture, scripture, word of God. How do we work that out in today's multicultural world? How do we, it's going to take thought, it's going to take sensitivity, it's going to take a lot of boldness. How about you? Did you have an idea? I saw you lifted your hand as a teacher, You're involved in education. Have you, have you got an idea? What would you like to see changed? Any idea? Oh, no, no, you won't look at <laughs> Sorry? So he would be talking about accessibility to universities for cheap, with cheaper fees. Uh, you know, and that's, so you see how Christianity it can get very political. And it's very important because that's important that people can, can get education and go into advanced education uh, and, and it's not just for the privileged and the elite. Yeah? So we could think about that. And sensitively, but not in an isolated way. There is more to the body of Christ than KTLCC. Amen. Amen. And there are organizations and churches and groups that are doing this stuff and we need to link with them so that we can be effective. But the main message is this. Learn this lesson. That if we step up to the plate and do what God calls us to do, who knows but that what I shared about 2070 will be nothing more than what might have happened but didn't happen because God's people took control and heard the voice of God. Our behavior and reaction to God's word in this generation is not just for this generation, but for the generations to come. Let's rise up and serve the purposes of God in this generation. Let's not fail him. I think we've done that in the past. Let's put that right and do something significant very quickly in the window that God has made available for us. Amen, amen. Give Jesus a big praise. All right, all right. Uh, Christian, I want you to come and lead some prayer in a moment. Uh, you get ready for that. And I didn't prepare you for it, but I did mention that we might be spending some time in prayer. Okay, I want to recap exactly what has happened here tonight. I've submitted publicly to you what I call a revelation that I received 16 years ago. I've shared it with other people but it's the, for the first time it's made public today. I have not prophesied, and I have not brought a great deal of interpretation. I've given some ideas, but now we take it from here, and we pray, and we move forward with God. But the certain things that are clear and true, what I'm saying tonight, is that God is calling us to the kingdom for such a time as this. Mm -hmm.